So it's now time for me to qualify. And um, um, so they're asking me that I keep the focus on my recovery in this 12-step program, Overeaters Anonymous. And I'm going to qualify until 9.15. And Carol will give me a five-minute warning. Okay. Um, all right. So my name is Michael, and I'm a compulsive overeater. And uh, Adam, thank you very much. Adam and I uh, go back a long, long time. The 80s, right? And um, it's good that we're both still here. And uh, very, very happy to see you. Um, so, um, I, you know, I cannot n- not mention how I got here without mentioning that I got clean and sober in the early 80s in another 12-step program. And I had a um, three-pack-a-day cigarette addiction. I couldn't stop smoking, and I would bitch and complain about it in my AA program. And they told me, like they tell us here, concentrate on your primary purpose. The only thing we identify is you're drinking. We don't care if you smoke until you die. Just, you know, don't drink. And uh, I got very offended (laughs) because uh, I was going to meetings in those days where you could say anything and do anything. People were throwing chairs at meetings and they were getting in fights. It was was wonderful. (laughs) And um, it's interesting when I came back because I... I, uh, I uh, went out in both programs. I, I chose a group that is just the opposite of that, that is very structured and very disciplined and maintains that you have respect for the program that's saving your life. And uh, so it's interesting. So anyway, back in the early 80s, um, I, somebody said, go to Smokers Anonymous. And I think they're still around. They're called Nicotine Anonymous now. And I went and I bitched and complained about my three-pack-a-day cigarette habit. And uh, in about six weeks, the, the, the obsession was removed and the three-pack-a-day habit was removed. And, and uh, it was really, really kind of nice. But within 30 days, I put on 30 pounds. And uh, it wasn't the first time I had switched addictions or had compulsively overate. It was the first time I was conscious of it because I was clean, I was sober, I wasn't smoking. And so I went back to AA and I said, you know, I'm eating pizza and I'm eating haagen And I'm just, I, and, they, and the old timer said, don't you learn what's wrong with you? Drinking, drinking, drinking. And, but I, I was aware that was, there was uh, Overeaters Anonymous and I came to you guys and uh, I listened that a lot of you, what, ate three meals a day with nothing in between and, and some of you didn't eat recreational sugar and some of you didn't eat white flour. And I said, well, I can do this, I can do this. But I couldn't. I, I floundered for about a year and I kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And finally I raised my hand and I said, my name is Michael. I'm a compulsive eater. I, I don't know, I, I need help. And Matt, 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 Matt M, I almost said his last name, uh, who was a hundred pounder and who was very uh, intelligent and articulate and very kind, gave me his phone number. And I called him and he asked me what I was going to eat that day. And I told him, I don't know. And if truth be told, I didn't want to know because I, didn't, I still kind of, you know, it says in the big book, it says that no matter where we come from, whether we were fat, skinny, anorexic, bulimic, um, the uh, uh, obsession of every compulsive overeater is someday, somehow, you know, we're going to be able to eat normal, whatever we want to. And uh, so I still had that thought. But Matt was kind enough to allow me to call him. You know what my sponsor would say. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.
he would say, is our starting time inconvenient for you? <laughs> so he was kind enough to, uh, to, to make me trust him enough that I called him the next day and I think he had me write down what I ate the day before. And the honesty of doing that and the conquering of the fear of doing that and the self-obsession and all that uh, was removed a little bit because I called him and I told him what I was eating. And uh, he got me in the habit of doing that. And uh, today I call it taking a fifth step with my food. Even if you haven't worked the steps, um, I, my experience is you can admit to yourself to a higher power of your understanding and another human being the exact nature of your food. Good, bad, or indifferent. And I've been doing that for a while, and I'd say most days God helps me to make a pretty um, um, healthy food choices. And if I don't, I get back on track because I'm in the habit of consistently calling in my food a day at a time. That other human being, Ladan will attest that it is true, uh, really helps make me accountable. We were talking before the meeting and, and we were thinking of maybe going to a Monday morning meeting. Monday is a holiday for me. And I said, well, you, you want to do it? You really want to do it? And so we made a commitment to each other that we're going to be at that Monday morning meeting. So I know I'm going to be there, you know, barring, you know, earthquakes or something like that. So that other human being and the accountability is really, really important for me. And it's so it's probably the hardest thing for me to do. Because the disease of compulsive overeating is isolatory. I mean, it makes me want to isolate. I just want to just, uh, you know, stay in bed and eat pizza and Haagen-Dazs and, and let my wife service me and, and then go back to sleep and then wake up and have my wife bring me some more food. And, and you know, I just, I, I don't like dealing with life on life's terms. Uh, it's, it's self-centered fear. And it seems to me to be a disease of um, a, a spiritual and uh, when I realized that the only thing that can fix me is some kind of a conscious contact with something other than myself, whether it be a home group, whether it be a sponsor, um, it doesn't... I just um, took the 11th step. Um, I, I, I'm multidimensional. I have a whack-a-mole disease. So I qualify for many programs. And um, so I took an 11th step. And that step is thought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understand Him. And I know so well intellectually because I'm in the habit of going to God almost on a constant basis when I'm afraid, when I'm not afraid. And I know that intellectually, but, uh, but at the end of my writing I said, I want, to, I want to experience it in my heart and I want to experience it in my soul. And uh, I, I, I do that. Um, some days, sometimes I do that. But uh, when I get into the self-centered fear, um, my sponsor will just direct me back to a loving God. And I don't know about you, when I'm in the fear, there is no such thing as a loving God. The fear is much stronger than the power greater than myself. And my sponsor will, will say, no, no, remember the loving God. And I'll say, you know what? That sounds like Pollyanna bullshit. It's Pollyanna bullshit. And he says, then go to Pollyanna bullshit. <laughs> he says, believe, because I believe in Pollyanna bullshit. So believe, you know, what I believe. So even after all these years, I have to go to another human being to 
act as if I believe in the Pollyanna bullshit. And more times than not, at the end of the day, when I'm taking my inventory and, I'm, and I end it with my gratefuls and something outstanding that happened during the day, I see there was Pollyanna bullshit. It was there all along. So, uh, God, wouldn't it be just nice to be able to live that, you know, um, constantly, you know? Uh, because I like instant gratification. But uh, my loving higher power uh, uh, gives me a home group where I can come and see the same faces that, uh, that accept me, you know, good, bad, or indifferent, and gives me the tools of the program, gives me the steps, and gives me, um, um, I guess, a modicum of serenity so that I prefer working it the way we're all doing today than to binging my brains out and anesthetizing myself with food. Um, so, um, so what happened is I got abstinent and um, I um, started getting involved with other things other than program. Um, I come from a background. My mother in the early 50s was diagnosed um, with schizophrenia and she was pretty bad. She was uh, suicidal and she, uh, she, um, she had a lobotomy, the operation where they cut your, the part of your brain that they thought was diseased. And she, she craved shock treatment because it was the only thing that shocked her back to sanity temporarily. So she was, um, she was, uh, it was scary for me to watch her. But it really wasn't because I was, I wasn't really a part of it. I, we'd go to Patton State Hospital on weekends and we'd see my mom. And the memories of my mom is she'd just hold me. She said, Michael, I, I love you. I'm going to come home. I'm going to take care of you. And then the following week, she'd be like catatonic, you know. And, and then she'd look at my father and she'd go, you son of a bitch. And she'd slap him. And I'd go, oh, my God. You know, and so my grandmother, may she rest in peace. They're all dead, by the way. They're all dead from this disease. And um, my grandmother decided to take on my case in her early 60s. And uh, she um, was, um, she didn't have the benefit of the program. And uh, my father uh, married my mother, uh, a schizophrenic, and my dad was in and out of the hospital because he had physical manifestations of alcoholism. And, uh, and uh, he was a perfect Al-Anon. He thought he could rescue my mother. Um, you know, the psychiatrist said, she's never going to get better, Louie. You know, you've got to cut her loose. He says, no, my love for her, and she has a little boy, you know, that's going to bring her back. And it never did. And it destroyed him. And, it, and my mother, in the early 40s, um, in Camarillo State Hospital, keeled over from a heart attack and died. Uh, going to get a pack of cigarettes, ironically. And so, uh, anyway, so I come from this, this horrendous stuff, and I thought that maybe I could treat my compulsive overeating, uh, my self-centered fear, with uh, therapy, with psychotherapy. And which is probably fine and dandy, because I have a, a sponsee that I'm sponsoring that's now in couples therapy, because he's trying to work on his communication with his, his girlfriend. But it's not good for me without working a 12-step program, because I get really confused. And when I'm not working the 12 steps, and my therapist is asking me to get introspective and to feel my feelings and to express my anger, and you guys are telling me, get out of yourself. Go, you know, go help somebody else. You know, you have self-centered fear. So when I let you guys go, I, I got into therapy, and I got somebody to prescribe me some medication, and, and, I, and I went out. And uh, so when I came back, 
Um, there was a person, there's in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, may he rest in peace. I went to a meeting and he was there and he said, never in my 20 some odd years of sobriety have I had a problem, problem to which the 12 steps did not offer me a solution. And I was so far away from the 12 steps and I was so scared and I was so medicated that I asked his wife for his number and I started calling him and he brought me back to the 12 steps. And, uh, and I stopped all the other extracurricular activity that I was involved with and I got involved in a very structured and disciplined home group in my, uh, my mother program, my original program. And, uh, but I asked my sponsor, I said, you know, I, I'm an OA and uh, I'd like to go back. And we believe in just one sponsor in that other program because my MO in the old days was to ask everybody their opinions and the person who agreed with my opinion, I would take their advice. <laughs> and it's very cunning, baffling and powerful. So I knew that my sponsor in the other program would tell me, you know, you can't go, you only need one sponsor. But he said, no, he said, I don't have that problem. I'm not a compulsive old reader. Go ahead and do what you got to do. And so I came to you and I got a sponsor. I got Richie and I started taking the 12 steps with Richie and I started calling in my food to Richie. And, uh, <clears throat> and so the rest uh, is uh, history. I've been doing that July 20th, 1990 is my abstinence date. So I've been doing it a day at a time since that, uh, since that period. Um, I was um, unemployable, I think, when I came back to you. I uh, never wanted to work uh, full time. I still don't want to work. Uh, I like vacations. I, uh, um, and we have a lot of them in the profession that I have. And they're, and they're paid vacations, too. And the only reason, it's a direct result of the 12 steps of, of, of program, because I was honest with my sponsor. I told my sponsor once that 17 years prior, I was getting a teaching credential. I was thinking of getting it. And, uh, and I quit right while I was student teaching. And he said, uh, well, Mike, why don't you go back and talk to a counselor? And I said, it's 17 years ago. Um, I can't. He says, and I said, besides, I want, I'm an actor. I'm, I don't, I don't want to be a teacher. And he said, well, um, it doesn't matter whether you're an actor, a dentist, a doctor, a lawyer, a psychiatrist, whatever it is. The spiritual principle is you go back and you complete something that you left undone. And that sort of resonated with me. He says, could you just go back and talk to the counselor? And I went back. I talked to the counselor. Counselor was crazy. I remember he was looking for my records because it had been 17 years. He finally pulled up my records. And it turned out that all the classes I took 17 years ago uh, were applicable. They applied and that I only needed like one more class. And so just like everything in life, that next indicated step seemed doable, even though I was afraid. And so he said, well, why don't you go take that class? And so I took that class. And to make a long story short, I started student teaching again. And the maybe third grade class that I was student teaching, they went in the morning to this kindergarten through second grade class and the kids were orthopedically health impaired. They were in walkers and wheelchairs and uh, my heart melted and I just came up to them and I just loved them. I loved them. And the teacher of that class said, Michael, when you go out and look for a job, I can turn you on to a couple of people in, in what I do. And so I was scared to death to go to in, on an interview. And I went on three interviews. I think two out of the three interviews, they were going to hire me. One of the um, interviews was to a class like this, a special ed class. And, um, 
and the principal interviewed me and there was a whole group of people and I went out and she said I came back she said well Mike if you're interested in the job you've got the job and I oh my god I went to my sponsor and I told my job my sponsor I was kind of excited but I went back to school to Cal State and they said you have to get a special ed credential you have your regular but you have to go back and get another credential and I love these kids so much I was willing to do that so I went like one class at a time I went to night school and it took me years and years to get that special ed credential while I was teaching this class and getting paid. If you ever go to back to school, it's the best thing while you're working and you're getting the so-called theories of what to do and then you're getting the reality of what's happening. It was great. It was great. And I got it. And I completed it. I taught that class for 11 years. And uh, I love those kids. And many times I say, Richie, you know, the standards and they're coming down and they want to test these kids. These kids can't even talk. And I don't even know how I'm teaching. Michael, shut up and love the kids. <laughs> so I use that today. I hear Richie's voice. May he rest in peace. A lot of people, when you get older, a lot of people leave. You know what I mean? I have a sponsor in my other program that's getting um sort of frail and you know it's um, the life goes on and the program goes on and, and we go on it's just part of life life on life's terms yeah uh, so uh, yeah so I've, I, I've had a pretty good career uh, this is my uh, 24th year and they haven't found me out yet I'm getting evaluated this year I was uh, because I've taught so long uh, they give you a little bit of a reprieve but I think at the end of this month, um, I'm gonna, somebody's going to come and observe me uh, teaching. And I don't like it, you know. And I don't like any, any authority figure, you know. And, and, you know, they're just there to help. I remember right before I got my teaching credential, you had to schlep all this stuff, the special ed credential, and I was just so overwhelmed. And I called somebody that I don't usually call, Jim J, Jim Jackson, I don't know if you remember Jim. And I said, God, you know, they're going to evaluate me. What am I going to do? And uh, he said, you know, Michael, they want the best for you. They're not there to hurt you. And when I get into fear, it's my evaluator is, is going to hurt me. Yeah, I taught five classes yesterday. Uh, kindergarten classes on a Friday afternoon. And, um, and so the teacher comes in and the teacher's supposed to participate, but they're overwhelmed. And so the teacher was doing her lesson plans or whatever in the back. And right away, my head says, why isn't she helping me? Why isn't she doing this? And, uh, and I just got real negative. And, and it affected my teaching. But then she stopped what she was doing and she sat with the kids and she did what she did. And then she went back to doing it. It was sort of God's way of saying, Michael, she's not trying to ding you she's not don't take it personally she's as overwhelmed as you are and uh, so so I'm get, I get God messages all the time I just have to be open to them and the steps are a wonderful tool to open us up that's what the tenth step is all about it's like a spiritual enema you know every, every night you get to get rid of all this Mishigas you know and then you and then you, if you're lucky, you get to fuck with your sponsor's serenity and lay it all on your sponsor. And the sponsor rolls his eyes and says, Michael, what about God? What about God? And it's a two-way street. It brings us both back to a power greater than ourselves. So it's a wonderful program. And uh, even though it didn't ding, I'm going to end a little bit early. Thank you. All righty. Um, this is the time for questions only. 
There's no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leaders are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. Please remember if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast. Um, and if you guys could remind me to restate the question for the, uh, those of us who are listening, because I always forget that. All right. So, yes, ma'am. Yes. Thank you. Um, you mentioned fear throughout your qualification, and I think it just seems so far of my thoughts. I'm wondering how is it different for you now than in the beginning So the, the question was, how is it different for me now after doing this for a while when the fear rears its ugly head uh, than it was in the beginning? So in the beginning, I was anesthetizing myself with food and I didn't want to feel it. And uh, for some reason, I still feel the fear. As a matter of fact, it could be good news or bad news. You feel it more the cleaner my food is. And, um, and my illusion is that I'm not going to feel it anymore. You know, once I go through it, and then when you get over it, it feels so great, you think you're never, ever going to feel it again. But it comes up. So, intellectually, right now, how I deal with it is it's God saying, Michael, come back. Here I am. Wake up, call. Come on back. Come on back. Come on back. So, instead of looking at it, oh my God, why am I feeling this again? It's, oh my God. All right. Help me deal with this and let's get through it together. So, intellectually, I know it, but I still don't like it, you know. But God gives me that little bit of a push to do the next indicated slow thing. I move like a turtle. You know, I'm going to be evaluated on the 27th or something and I don't want to look at it. And I can't get online and do what I'm supposed to. And I have to ask the guy for help, you know, just like I did to Matt originally. But God will give me the impetus to pick up the phone and do it. And I'll probably cop to the truth to my sponsor. and He'll give me a little push as well. God's really gentle, you know, if, if I allow God in. So. Yes? Thank you. Um, how do you feel that the voice that helps you forgive yourself and helps you let go of past decisions that still haunt you? Okay, the fourth step. Are you alluding to the fourth step? Okay. So tell me if I, tell me if I have this right. So how do I let the steps, or whatever the step may be, fourth or ten? How does that? How do I let go of the guilt for the decisions that I've made in the past that keeps coming up? Is that right? Correct. Or things that have taken your life down a certain road, and here you are now, and looking past. Stop to look past and say, why did I do that? Hmm. Well, most of the time, I'm pretty grateful and accepting of where I am right now. When I'm in fit spiritual condition. When I'm not, I think, God, if my wife wouldn't have gotten pregnant, I could be a star on Broadway. <laughs> Good. The, the Midnight Mission is very close to Broadway. I could be asking for coins. But, yeah. But when I'm in fit, spiritual condition, I see that everything that was given to me uh, was a gift. Um, yeah, and when I go down that path and I just think, woulda, shoulda, woulda, I know I'm not, I'm not doing God's will. Um, every, nothing in, it says in the big book, nothing in God's world happens by mistake. 
So if I'm in God's world, I don't need to second-guess God. I need to know that my spouse is right where my spouse is supposed to be, my kids are where they're supposed to be. And I guess uh, the, the thing that helps me is taking a tenth step at night and when all this mishigas and the guilt comes. My grandpa, may he rest in peace. Uh, I'm kind of grappling with this right now. He, he never got a, a tombstone. And in the Jewish religion, I think, I'll check it out with Jack. Jack's my Hebrew school buddy. <laughs> After a year, you're supposed to put up out of respect to the person. So, Grandpa, I remember when I first got abstinent in the 80s, I went and I found his grave, and it's just a little thing that has his name on it. So, I'm thinking, I'm feeling guilty that I, sh- I should be responsible and go and put... You know why I feel guilty? My grandfather, I was like 18, 19 years old, and when he was dying in a rest home, he asked my grandmother if he could come back and live with her. And they fought like cats and dogs. It was a crazy alcoholic. And grandma says, no, there's no way you're coming back. And, And my dad told me he went to visit my grandpa, and my grandpa pulled him into side and looked at him and says, Louis, I'm going to die here. I'm going to die here. And I have that sort of vision. And my dad always used to say, Michael, go visit Grandpa. Go visit Grandpa. I never visited him. And so, um, and, he, and then one day he says, Michael, there's no more Grandpa. So, there's some, I'll work it out with my sponsor, something in me that thinks if I go and I get a plaque and I just put it out of respect to him, even though he's dead, you know, maybe I'll feel better. And, uh, and, it's, and it, of course, the amends are not supposed to be about you. They're supposed to be about the other person. But ultimately, I think, if truth be told, you want to clean it out. You want to feel better about yourself so that you, can, you don't have to treat people like I did my grandpa. You know what I mean? I don't think it was, you know... It was done intentionally. I was just a kid. I was self-centered and stuff. But uh, I sure am sorry that I didn't get a chance to say goodbye to him. So anyway, that's a long answer to your short question. Ainsley. Thank you so much. Thanks. Um, could you talk about how you sponsored? Nick, you want to... Uh, <laughs> shame and humiliation and guilt. <laughs> I don't know. Um, so I, I, you know, I, I think my sponsor in this program could have a reputation of being tough, but my sponsor in the other uh, program makes him look like Pollyanna. So I come from a long line of, you know, strong sponsorship, and you don't care about the person's feelings, you know, and you just you you love them enough, you know, to tell them the truth. And it's the difference between a sponsor and a friend, because a friend, I really don't want to hurt their feelings. But if you really care about a, spon- a sponsee, you know, you, you lovingly, would compassionately try to bring them on, on track. You know, Dr. Paul says in the big book, how am I, how do I know what's right for somebody else if I don't even know how to run my own life? That's the the mystery of sponsorship because I turn my will and my life over to a care of a sponsor who can't even run his own life. But the beauty of it is is that you're both trying to get closer to God through the 12 steps. And somebody who's involved in, in OA, who's working the program, working with others, I trust enough so that, because I know he really doesn't know. I mean, I really know that. But I know in retrospect, God's been running my life for 20, 28 years and it's pretty damn good. So, uh, so uh, yeah, I, I don't know if that answers your question, but I just... Do they have to call you every day? No, they don't have to. 
I have most of my sponsees in OA. We call every day because we take a fifth step with my with our food, and um, and uh, once we work the steps, when you get to the tenth step, it's not just about the food. It's about fears and resentments and any stuff that came up during the day. So most of my sponsees call me with an inventory on a daily basis. Some of them have a reprieve on the weekends. Richie used to say, give me a reprieve on the weekends. <laughs> so maybe that's a little bit more direct. Okay. Yes? Just for today, um, I go to other 12-step programs to quench my whack-a-mole disease. When I got really angry at Christine when she got laid off 10 years ago and she decided she wasn't going to go back to work and I got really afraid and the anger came up and uh, I went to Al-Anon because I started blaming you and started looking at you rather than looking at myself. We've been fine for 10 years, you know, even though she hasn't worked. Um, recently, God, my, I'm just bringing up stuff for me. It's probably indirect, but my daughter said to me, my wife, we live two blocks away from my, my mother-in-law. She's 95 years old. She's the sweetest lady. But Christine goes over there four nights a week to take care of her. And so Christine is not in my bed four nights a week. And so I think I'm pretty good and I'm pretty accepting and loving. But my 26-year-old daughter gets in my face last night and says, God, Dad, you're going to make mom feel guilty for going over grandma's house again and I go what and she's just right in my face and there are times I'll say like Chris can you know can't your mom sleep over her sister's house you know stuff like that so I you know I'm not as good as I think I am you know what I mean so I need sponsors and daughters and, and people in the program to call me on my stuff so uh, yeah so I go to other 12-step programs I'm involved in a few and I haven't had to use therapy, and I hope I'm open to it if and when I have to have it. If and when I have to have it. Yeah, Thor. Um, when you, since you're in two programs and you've had two sponsors and they give you uh, different directions, how do you um, the direction is usually the same. I've been doing it for 28 years. And what my thing is, I'll try to play one against the other. And, uh, and, it, and it just doesn't work. So I've developed a, a pretty good um, habit of knowing when I'm doing that. And uh, I don't know, if something happened uh, uh, with an OA commitment. And I forgot what it was specifically, but I went to Terrell and... And uh, oh yeah, so there was a, a, a party, the 50-year celebration at the yard, and uh, I was—I thought I was going to speak here last week, and um, and Terrell says, no, you're going to stay here, you're going to do your commitment, and then you'll go late to the yard, and I thought, no, I'm not showing respect for the other sponsor, and blah. I just went, but I followed my sponsor's direction, and I went to the yard and had a great time. So it, it hasn't conflicted in like 28 years. So, and more than two programs, by the way. <laughs> yes, Mary Pat. Mike, thank you for your share. I was just wondering, did you come into the program, your first program, with the concept of a higher power? I don't think so. Did, did I come into the program with the concept of a higher power? And has that changed over the years? Um, I don't think I liked a higher power very, very much. 
when they were lowering my mother into the grave and my father asked the rabbi rabbi what's the point she's like in her early 40s she suffered what's the and and the rabbi said uh louis sometimes we just don't know god's purpose and i thought you asshole <laughs> what is that that's no answer so when i came in the program and uh, i had a pretty you know uh, and my grandmother used to call me a hazer shadam kid you goddamn kid you don't do what i tell you to do and uh, and so i just so after taking an inventory i realized that um since i have uh since since i have a son that was diagnosed as bipolar and would never be off medication and he's been clean and sober for over 11 years and uh and i see how my life has flourished um that punishing higher power has dissipated a lot and through inventory i realized what i really want a mother right now who would be in her 90s you know doing this thorazine shuffle i believe that we go to a better place and i believe my mom is there so it's not a punishing god that took her it's a, it's a loving god that took her so uh, so those are some of the changes that i continue to go through as i try to contact a loving god as opposed to that punishing god anybody else uh, and a double dip over here. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. commitments or what helped me I know on Thursday night I'm going to be in another 12 step program I have a commitment there um I know on Wednesday is my home group in the other program I know Saturday now this I've let go of this commitment after 28 years I I've always had a commitment at this meeting this is my home group and so far it's I check it out with my sponsor it's held me in good stead I've asked sometimes to speak on Saturday so I'll go on a Saturday to speak at another OA meeting but most Saturdays even though I don't have a commitment I'm here so commitments are the real real foundation of how I do it and then if I'm talking about anger at my wife because she's doing it then Carol will say go to your Al-Anon sponsor and you know and if I'm scared about some financial stuff you know I have a guy to call about that I'm I'm worried about my um my uh, one of my sponsors who's kind of frail right now and that's my primary thing program and so I'm having to reach out in in, in that program a little bit and it's not comfortable but so that's how I prioritize sponsors help prayer and commitments at meetings Hello me How do I work my recovery today coming from a dysfunctional family that was surrounded with mental illness and alcoholism and compulsive overeating? How does that affect me today? Well, I'm very aware that I'm not the perfect parent. Uh and I'm very aware that I'm a little bit better than I was the generation ago. And um I um uh, I just cling to the program even harder with my kids and with my wife. I think the thing that I'm most uh embarrassed about, I have a lot of anger that I took out on my my ex-wife first of all, my son's uh mother and then on my current wife. And uh it's it's 
to blame it on my grandmother because I had a rager and stuff and I would rage back and then what I hurt I want to hurt back and when you do it to somebody who closes off it's called bullying it's called verbal abuse that's what it is and I'm not proud of myself for being that way but again I turned myself over to Alan on about uh, seven years ago and uh, I'm taking inventory here and I've gotten better and just when I think I'm getting good my 26 year old says are you going to make mom feel guilty again um, and the thing about my kids also, because that abuse, that verbal abuse and screaming and yelling, it didn't matter whether my kids were around or not. And that's what, the, how I was raised. My grandmother and my grandfather were fighting and screaming and yelling and stuff. And so I see that I brought a lot of that, maybe not as much as I, th- I would like to think I didn't bring that much, but I, I, I'm responsible for that. And I know it influenced my kids. It couldn't have been good for them. But they know I'm in the program. And they see that I'm, you know, I'm committed and I'm, they know where I am and stuff. And God forbid, well, not God forbid, it's been a loving God that took my son, you know, 11 years ago and brought him to, to AA and got him clean and sober. He's married to a lady who's clean and sober. They have two grandchildren. I have two grandchildren. And they're, they're giving me another a girl who's coming out, you know. So more little blocks or uh, little people are coming my way. And... Uh, but, uh, you know, the program has reversed the family history, at least in my life and in my son's life. So if it can do it, you know, there's hope for, for generations to come. Don. You talked about how you were advised that uh, there was never a problem 12 steps couldn't handle. Could you give an example of how a problem came up when you used the 12 steps to solve it? Well, hmm. Well, I told you about my career. Um, Let's see, I told you about Christine, she wasn't working, and uh, so we've been fine. Let's see, how about a current problem? Um, what's bothering me now? I have my inventory in my pocket here. Uh, uh, I guess maybe the fear of, um, time's up? Oh, okay. okay. All right. So I guess the fear of being um, evaluated. Um, so I know when it comes up, I'm going to give it, you know, talk about it. And, uh, and I'm going to be directed to the next indicated thing. And uh, I just know no, no matter how long I procrastinate and make myself feel crazy, eventually, if I stay with you guys and I don't overeat, I'm going to go through the evaluation, good, bad, or indifferent, and I'm going to get through it. I don't want to do it. I, Don, I don't, want to get, I don't want to get up this morning. Even on weekends, I, don't, I like to lay in bed. It's just a wonderful thing. And uh, on a daily basis, I pray. I call my sponsor. I feel God when I start getting into action. That's the only time I feel Him. Although I love to proselytize on vacation. When the guys call me and we read the books and I'm in bed and I'm just giving direction and I'm saying everything. And then if I go back to sleep and I wake up, I feel like shit. So I have to get moving. So anyway, long, long answer, short questions. Thank you for letting me share.